You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spade. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. Over the last, actually the last year, we've been going over 1 John. We started way back in the spring. We did seven or eight weeks on the first two chapters. Uh, Here over the last seven weeks or so, we have looked at the last three chapters of 1 John. And today, we'll finish that up by looking at 1 John 5 from verse 13 to the very end of the book. Before we do that, though, I thought it would be worthwhile for us to go back and take a look at the entire book of 1 John. On and on, we've talked about how there are several themes that get wrapped up in 1 John. The major themes of 1 John is there is God's family And then there is not a family, but a tyranny of the evil one. In God's family, we see light. In the tyranny of the evil one, we see darkness. Now, the numbers by those words indicate the number of times that that word occurs just in 1 John. God's family is characterized by truth. But in the tyranny of the evil one, we see lies and deception. In God's family, there is life. With the evil one, there is death. So how do we get into God's family? John talks about that. He tells us that when we enter God's family, it's because we have believed. Look at that, 10 times in the book of John. And then he characterizes that that relationship with God as living. We live in God's family. We walk in the light. And look at that, 24 times he tells us to remain in God's family. He literally talks about hanging in there, about persevering to the end. Now, I want to draw your attention to the fact that these are actions. These are not concepts. The Christian life is not a philosophy to be followed. It's a life to be lived. The Christian life is not primarily a philosophy. It's a lifestyle. As members of God's family, we love 28 times. We don't hate. You know pollen is way up, right? We obey. We keep God's commandments. 
When we do that, we belong. We belong to him, and we belong to each other. We have fellowship. We have fellowship with him. We have fellowship with each other. And we act a certain way. We're righteous. We're just. When we belong to God's family, there are certain benefits we know. Look at that. 40 times in 1 John, he tells us that we can know. This is the most repeated theme in 1 John. We have confidence in him when we belong to God's family. So if all of this is true, why did John write 1 John? He wrote it because that's not the whole story. There are barriers to belonging to God's family. The tyranny of the evil one, the evil one is there to try to keep us from belonging to God's family. Darkness, lies, and deception we've already talked about. Those are the characteristics of the tyranny of the evil one. And, and we see that trying to keep us out of God's family. Individuals who will lie and intentionally try to deceive us are called antichrists. The antichrist is not a figure at the end of times. He's here now. They are here now. There's not just one. There's several. Anyone who tries to stand between you and God is an antichrist. Now, these things are all external to us. They're all barriers that are out there. But what John seems to be saying is that's not the most difficult barrier. The most difficult barrier is the one that is internal to us. Our own lust and our own sin. Lust is just another way of saying desire. What is it that you want out of life? What you want out of life can draw you away from God's family. Our own sin can draw us away from God's family. So we come to the end of the book of 1 John. Starting in verse 13, we begin to read and we see two central themes that finish up the book of 1 John. The first theme is the theme of knowing John tells us that we can know that we're saved. He uses that term eight times here in this passage. And eight times he talks about our sin. So let's start at verse 13. Let's see what he has to say. He says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Since we know that he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. He starts out saying, God answers our prayer. He gives us a blank check. So what are we going to write in that check? He tells us, the very next verse, 
if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that doesn't lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. Now John goes on and he talks about that odd phrase, a sin that leads to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. He talks about the ultimate sin. And personally, I think that ultimate sin is the sin to just flat out reject everything about God. But falling short of that, John says, you look around, you see someone sinning, pray for them. He gives us a blank check and then he tells us what to write on that check. And he says, what you write is the spiritual life and well-being of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't ask for a Ferrari. Don't ask for a trip around the world. Don't ask for a million things that you could ask for. Ask God to give your spiritual brothers and sisters growth as they look at you and ask God to give you growth. John goes on. He says, we know that God's children don't make a practice of sinning. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Look at what he says. We know that God's children don't make a practice of sinning. Whoa. Can he really mean that? That if we are members of God's family, God's purpose is that we do not sin. Is that even possible? Let's think about that for a little bit. This is not the first time that John has talked about that here in 1 John. A couple of chapters before, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what's right, it shows that they're righteous just as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. Man, it looks plain as day, doesn't it? God's intent is that we not sin. But can we do that? Here's where it becomes a little bit confusing because it looks like John in the very first chapter is saying exactly the opposite. Go back to chapter 1, verse 8, and John says, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Two verses later, he says, if we claim that we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar, showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So what is it? We belong to the family of God and we stop sinning? Or we look at our lives and we recognize the sin that's there? Which do we do? Well, it seems to me that John begins to answer that. 
in the verse right after verse 10. 1 John 2, verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Boom, there it is. But if you do, there it is. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. God's purpose is that we leave sin behind, but he recognizes who we are. And so he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, to forgive us of our sins, past, present, and future. So what is it that John is really saying here? You know, it seems to me that we might learn a little bit about this from the animal kingdom. Now, we have just finished the state fair, county fair. I don't know if you had a chance to go there. If you did... You were able to walk around the animal barn and, and see some different animals. Animals are very different. You have, for example, the rabbit. Now, rabbits are cute and cuddly, and they're incredibly clean. If a rabbit gets a little bit of mud on its fur, it will, just like a cat, clean it off. It'll do everything it can to get clean. And then you have the pig. Now, biologists will tell us that pigs don't have sweat glands, so they got to roll in water to stay cool. And on farms, typically, it's not clean water. It's a mixture of water and dirt, which we call mud. The pig gets in the mud, and he wallows in the mud, and he likes it. If you look at that pig, he's got a great big smile on his face, doesn't he? He's wallowing in the mud, and he loves it. I think what John is saying to us is, when you sin, are you a rabbit or are you a pig? Are you a rabbit and you look at that sin and you say, I don't want that. Get off of me. And you go to Jesus and you say, clean me. I'm dirty. Take care of this for me. Or are you a pig? You find yourself wallowing in the mud and you think, yeah, I kind of like this. I think I'll stay here a little bit longer. Maybe I'll roll around in it a little bit more. When you sin, does it bother you? Or do you just become comfortable in that sin? When you look back at chapter 5, some of the verses that we've already looked at, 
1 John 5.18 tells us that this is about the practice of sinning. John recognized that sins may come in our life, but we are to immediately go to Jesus and ask him to cleanse us, ask him to clean us up of the sin that we just stuck ourselves in. But how do we do that? He also tells us that. In this passage, he says, God will answer your prayer. So what should you pray for? Well, look around. Find a fellow believer. And when you see them doing something that they shouldn't be doing, pray for them. Now, I honestly believe that John is saying much more than stay at a distance and pray for him or her at a distance. The way you know what's going on in another person's life is you get involved. You sit down with them. You talk with them. John talks in this passage about fellowship, and I think this is one of the outgrowths of fellowship. You might be involved with them in a small group. That's happened. We meet together in a small group, and one of the purposes of a small group is that we're able to share with each other. And we're able to share joys and barriers. We're able to talk about what is not going wrong in our life. And we can pray for each other. First John 5.20, the passage, just the next verse. We know that the Son of God has come. He's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God. He is eternal life. By coming together, getting involved in each other's life, we can help each other grow spiritually. We fellowship with each other. By being together and sharing together, we grow in Jesus. And we now have fellowship with Jesus. And when we have fellowship with Jesus, we have fellowship with God. It's this pyramid that builds on each other and it starts with getting involved in each other's lives. That might be in a small group. That might be in discipleship partners where maybe three or four get together. It might be when just two get together. About four years ago, we held a conference. We called it the Abide Conference. And in that conference, we introduced the idea of discipleship partners, just two people meeting together, getting involved in each other's lives and praying for each other. After the discipleship conference, um, the Cinders family at that point was fairly new to the church. So Nick was looking for a discipleship partner. I asked him if he would want to meet with me. And we began to meet. 
Now, we do that on about a monthly basis. We'll get together for either breakfast or for lunch. And a lot of the time is chit-chat. A lot of the time we just talk about what's going on in our lives, what, what uh, is, is happening with our kids, with, with our families. But before we leave, we'll talk to each other about what's going on deep down inside our heart. We open our hearts to each other and we talk to each other about where we're struggling and we make a commitment to pray for each other. I pray for Nick every day. He prays for me every day. We'll frequently text each other. What can I pray for you today? We've developed a friendship. And I'll tell you what, I need that friendship because I need someone that I can confess what's going wrong in my life. And we usually have quite a bit to talk about in that area. And know that he's got my back. Know that he won't condemn me for it, but he will pray for me. And then when we get together or... Sometimes by text. How are you doing with that? How, are, how did it go today? All we're talking about here is simply being accountable to each other. John gives us a very practical way to live our life above the tyranny of the evil one. He says we each need help. We can help each other. Now John ends his epistle very simply. In Greek, he just says two words. Dear children, avoid idolatry. But in the New Living Translation, it expands it a little bit. I read the words avoid idolatry and I thought that is really strange. They did not struggle with idolatries. The Romans, the Greeks had idols. Not the early Christians, but the New Living Translation clarifies it. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. You know what? That is a summary of the entire book. Every single theme is wrapped up in there. Avoid anything that distracts you from God. Avoid idolatry. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. What we're saying this morning, very simply, the end of 1 John says that to live, love, and go like Jesus, we need to be accountable. Find someone to be accountable to. Whether that's in a small group, whether that's in a group that goes out to play golf together. But as you're playing golf, you're talking with each other. Could be a group that meets together to pray. But as you pray, you also pray about what's in here. It could just be two people sitting down together. Husbands, wives, be accountable to each other. 
But above and beyond that, look for someone outside of your spouse. Men, if you are married, the best gift you can give your wife is a strong friendship with another man who will hold you accountable to be the kind of husband that you need to be. Women, if you are married, the best gift you can give your husband is to have a solid friendship, someone who holds you accountable, and talk to you about being the best person you can be for your husband and for Jesus. Find someone to whom you can be accountable. The band's going to come back up. We're going to sing one more hymn, and then we'll go out to be accountable, but we cannot do that on our own. So let's ask the Lord to help us. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.